And thank you for that. And welcome. We're also thankful for our kids' own volunteers. And uh, thankful for our kids. It's wonderful to see them and know that they're part of our church family. I was so glad, thank you, Kent, for uh, that thank you note from Bubba and Tammy talking about how you have impacted them. It's so wonderful to uh, know that you are blessing um, their work as they minister to people on the front lines down there in Kentucky. I've said it before and I'll say it again, you're the most generous church I've ever met. So thank you. Thank you for the way you serve, you serve them. Let's open the word uh, to Matthew chapter 5. And before we do that, I'd like to open in prayer. Lord, I pray that you would stand in front of me while I'm in front of them, that you would talk over me while I talk to them. Do this for your glory's sake, for our sake, and for the sake of the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I've been arguing that Jesus is for your happiness. And I know that there is pushback on that, especially on the word happiness. I know that um, not everyone would agree with me, and I know that there's, uh, there's resistance to that, and maybe for good reason, because you've had people tell you that they just want to be happy and then do something incredibly selfish and destructive. In fact, you've had people probably tell you that God wants them to be happy, and then they do something incredibly selfish and destructive. And that's, of course, not what I mean. Jesus has terms. I can't re-preach the first uh, message in this series, but it is out there online if you'd like to follow it. The, the question I guess I'd have for you is, what, the same one I asked last week, if you had a kid, would you want them to be happy? think you would. In fact, I'll go even further. I probably shouldn't, but I will. If you had a dog, would you want it to be happy? And what do you mean by that? Well, by that you mean well-being. You mean flourishing. You mean you want it to be, you want it to be, you want it to do well. Do you think, do you think God is less concerned about you doing well than you are about your dog? God wants you to do well. He wants you to flourish. He is concerned for your well-being. Now, just like with little kids, we have an idea of what they need to learn, and they have an idea of what they think they want. And one of the key competencies that adults know they have to teach their kids is Number one, how to obey. Got to learn how to obey. That is a core competency. If you don't have that, you're not going to be happy in life. So, so we look for opportunities to teach our kids how to obey because someday you're going to be riding bikes on the side of the road and you're going to say, there's a car coming up behind us. Stay on your side of the white line. They need to obey that. Like, for them to be happy, they need to obey that. 
You know, kids need to learn, like, how to eat stuff that isn't French fries and uh, milkshakes. In order to be happy in life, your palate must be broader than French fries and milkshakes. So adults know what kids need better than kids know what they need. They, they, you want their well-being, you want them to flourish, and so you teach them stuff. This is Jesus saying, I am for your happiness. This is why he says blessed nine times in this passage. In fact, let's look at it. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, he says, blessed. Matthew chapter 5, verse 4, blessed. 5, 5, blessed. 5, 6, blessed. 5, 7, blessed. 5, 8, blessed. 5, 9, blessed. 5, 10, blessed. And 5, 11, blessed. He is for your flourishing. He is for your well-being. And, and maybe you grew up with a dad that was grumpy and angry all the time, and it's hard for you to believe that the Heavenly Father is for your flourishing. Maybe you grew up with parents that were just straight absent, and it's hard for you to believe that the Heavenly Father is for your flourishing. And I'm just telling you, He is for your well-being. He is for your well-being. He is for your good. And he knows better than you what that means. And so Jesus came preaching change. He knows in order for you to be happy, you need to change. And so he said, the key verse to understand the Sermon on the Mount, which is chapter 5 through chapter 7 of Matthew, is in chapter 4. So in chapter 4, we get the summary statement of the Sermon on the Mount. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So if I was going to draw a picture of repentance, it would be a U-turn, where you go from living for you to living for God. So you were living for your selfish desires. You were insisting on your own way. You were saying, My will be done on earth as it is already being done in my mind. And now you have reverse course. You've repented of that. Now you're saying, God's will be done. God's kingdom come. And hallowed be God's name. May, may, may I live according to God's way. And that is, that is the heart of repentance, that change. This is the change you need for well-being. So if I was going to draw a picture or draw a map of the Beatitudes, this is what I would draw. It starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. So Jesus starts with, first, admit you don't know everything. I can't teach you when you're full of yourself, when you think you already know it all, it's really hard to teach you. So, the Beatitudes start with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know they are spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those, I can fill people that are empty. I can't fill people that are already full. Blessed are those who know they're poor, spiritually poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Then, blessed are those who mourn. They mourn their sin. And we talked about how this is specific sins. We talked about how it really helps you mourn your sin if you're specific about which sins you're mourning. If you're just saying, well, everybody's a sinner, everybody makes mistakes. You know, that's not a confession. A confession is when you are specific about what sin you committed. Then you're ready to change. When you're just saying, well, everybody makes mistakes, you're kind of justifying yourself and you're hiding from your sins in being vague. Not ready to change yet. So we start with, 
Blessed are the poor, blessed are the empty-handed, the people that they know what they don't have, the people that know what they need. Blessed are those who are mourning their sin. They see their sin, they hate it, they agree with God that it is sin, ready to leave it, for they will be comforted. Now we're on, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now when you see meek, you're like, well, that rhymes with weak, so it must be bad, and I don't want that. And I have heard of people rejecting Christianity because of this very uh, beatitude. Blessed are the meek. Like, well, I can't be meek in my line of work. I can't be meek as a person. That's just not how I am. So I guess I can't follow Jesus. So I think it's really important we understand what blessed are the meek means. So let me just ask you this, just to get you thinking. And you can just, you don't have to answer out loud. Just kind of have this in your head. If you were going to try to explain meekness to a sixth grader, how would you explain it? Think of a sixth grader that you love. How would you explain meekness? Well, I'm going to take my best shot at it here. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let me start with uh, the, the Greek word, because that's what I would do if I was talking to a sixth grader. Well, let me show you the Greek. <laughs> <laughs> that's why you're not in charge of sixth graders, Nathan. <laughs> so it means gentle, humble, considerate, or meek in the older sense. So do you see those last couple words in the older sense? What that's saying is the meaning of the word meek, since they've done the Bible translations, has changed. So when Shakespeare may have used the word meek, he probably meant something very different than we use when we use the word meek. It means gentle, humble, considerate, meek. As I was reading about this and studying this word, I thought, I want a meek dentist. And you could tell, like, I've had some dental work done. I did that to get your attention, by the way. Old bike accident, we're getting it repaired. But I want a meek dentist because I want someone that's gentle. I want someone that's strong enough to do the work, but gentle as they do it. I want someone that is competent to do the work, but also considerate. I want someone that's humble. I want someone that can do the work without having, what? watch this, watch what I can do. You know, I'll actually show off while I do it. I want someone that's meek, someone that does the work and does it really well in a way that is considerate and gentle. It's, it's like a controlled strength. So, Meekness has to do with your strength. We're going to fill in the definition kind of as we go. So there's, there's your strength, and we're going to do this part, and then finally we'll end with this part. Meekness is about strength being under control. And so this is what um, Colin Smith writes. He says, meekness is controlled strength. This is what we talked about, like with a dentist. You want, you want a dentist that is under control, not like when something goes wrong, throwing a temper tantrum, and you're there at their mercy. Meekness is controlled strength. It tames the temper, subdues the self, calms the passions, manages the impulses of the heart, and brings order out of the chaos of the soul. Meekness is when you have all of that energy and all of that frustration and all of that ups and downs and wants, and you're able to tame it. You're able to control it. It's one thing when you're holding a baby 
that's learning how to use its hands. Isn't that fun when babies kind of discover their hands and learn how, to, learn how to use them? It's one thing when you're holding a baby like that and it keeps trying to grab your glasses. It's another thing when someone's 30 and they're trying to grab your glasses. Like, that's not okay. Like, by now you should have a level of meekness and be able to control your impulse to grab my glasses. See, meekness is the ability to tame urges or tame, like, we're able to keep control of ourselves. This is meekness. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Okay, but let's talk about Christian meekness. So meekness is when you're able to tame your urges. You're able to control your desires. You're able to point your strength at something. So, um, so Haddon Robinson writes of a young soldier in the Greek wars, the Peloponnesian Wars, Athens versus Sparta, 400 years before Jesus. And he wrote to his fiancée about a gift he had for her. It was a white stallion. He described it as the most magnificent animal I have ever seen. Think of a white stallion. I'm, I'm not a horse person. I don't know anything about horses. But many of you are. And many of you, much, you, know, you know a lot about horses. When I think of a white stallion and somebody that's Greek that rides horses for a living maybe or sees a lot of horses, I, I would think that it would be a powerful, strong, energetic, intelligent animal. Raging strength. The most magnificent animal I have ever seen. He responds obediently to the slightest command. You see those two things there? Like raging, powerful strength, energetic, can run all day long, but on the other hand, responds obediently to the slightest command. He allows his master to direct him to his full potential. You can win races on this horse because he's not constantly getting sidetracked. Then he wrote, he is a horse. He is a meek horse. He doesn't mean he's a weak horse that you kind of have to drag everywhere you go. He doesn't mean he's a shy horse or he lets you beat him. He means he's a meek horse. He's strength, incredible strength, but he's able to be controlled. This is meekness. And so when we say, Jesus is for your happiness, and we're thinking about this beatitude, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. What we're saying is, Jesus is for your happiness, so submit your strength to him. John's looking at me like, I have no idea. I don't either. Yeah, maybe it will come back, maybe it won't. We don't need it. The Holy Spirit doesn't need it. Okay, there we go. We were talking about horses and meekness in particular. So Jesus said, blessed are the meek. You know, the happy are the meek. Happy are those who are able to submit their strength to Christ because those people will inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Now, how does this look? Like, if we're talking about, like, how do we do this? Let's, let's, let's look at this. Because when we'll start with a negative, then we'll move to positive, and then we'll talk about why. So negative, positive, why. So negative, what does it look like when we don't submit our strength to Jesus? Well, 
it looks like us selfishly grabbing for our own way. So we're going to voluntarily obey Jesus rather than selfishly grabbing at stuff. So this goes all the way back to the garden. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden where Eve sees the fruit, the certain, you know, and sees its desire, you want it, that looks really good, I really want that. And the serpent says, well, you can have that. You know, God just knows that you can't have it because you shouldn't have it and he doesn't want you to have it and he's just mean. And she's like, oh man, how am I gonna, how am I gonna be happy without that? And she starts to doubt God's goodness and then she insists on her own way and grabs it and takes it and her husband's standing next to her like, well, happy wife, happy life, I guess I'll eat it. And he does. And then... And then the curse happens. See, a lot of times when you and I, the biggest regrets we have are when we selfishly grab stuff that we shouldn't have or selfishly grasp for control instead of waiting on the Lord. I put it like this. Meek people have fewer regrets. So when you think about like if your kids are like acting up and they're acting up and they're acting up and they're acting up and you're trying to be patient and you're trying to be patient and you're trying to be patient and finally you lose it and you call them names. You're bigger than them, you're better at words than them and you call them names and you lay them low. And you regret that later on. And they regret that later on. Instead of being patient and patiently disciplining you throw meekness to the wind, you lose control of yourself, and you just give yourself over to name-calling and screaming. That's not meekness. When you're struggling with your spouse, and you're struggling, and you're struggling, and you're struggling, and, and you're like, sometimes he's, on, you know, sometimes he's winning, sometimes she's winning, sometimes he's winning, sometimes she's winning, and it's this like battle back and forth, and Finally, you know, you, you're like sharpening this word you're going to use and you're sharpening this language. And finally, you, you, just, you just say it. And it just cuts them wide open and they're just left bleeding. And you're like, I really shouldn't have said that. It's not meekness. It's not meekness. When we steal stuff, it's not meekness. When we take stuff that's not ours to take, it's not meekness. Meekness is saying, I trust God to give me what he's going to give me, and I will obey him. I'm going to stop selfishly grabbing. Grabbing for control, grabbing for power, grabbing for status, grabbing for whatever it is we're tempted to grab. Okay, so... Negatively, meekness stops grabbing. Positively, meekness is meek all the time. Meekness is trusting the Lord all the time. So in Psalm 37, I'm going to flip back there. You can if you'd like. Psalm 37 is actually where this comes from. So if you look at 37 verse 11, we see but the meek shall inherit the land. It's like Jesus is quoting from Psalm 37. The meek will inherit the land and delight themselves in the abundance of peace. 
But throughout the passage, he's been saying, stop fretting yourself because of evildoers. So you wonder if, if the psalmist here is watching the news. I'm sure he wasn't, but yeah, you're just looking back, at, uh, looking around, looking at what we do all day. We look, watch the news or we look at our Facebook feed and we look at all the evil out there. And we say, God, why don't you do something about this? God, why don't you do something about this? God, how long until you do something about this? Maybe I need to do something about this. Maybe I need to take things into my own hand. Maybe I need to say something. Maybe I need to this or maybe I need to that. But look at Psalm 37, verse 1. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Then Psalm 37, verse 7. Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Then in verse 8, refrain from anger, forsake wrath, fret not yourself, it tends only to evil. He's like, wait, 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 stop, stop, stop. What you need to do is trust that the Lord really is on the throne. If you trust that the Lord really is on the throne, you will stop taking matters into your own hands and you will acquire a measure of of meekness. When we trust that the Lord is on the throne and that he is for our good, it helps us stop fretting about evil people we see on the news or we see next to us at work or we see next to us at school. It also helps us be content. It helps us be content. So, a friend of mine's name is John. And um, he'd be fine with me telling you this. Uh, he, he had his dream all his life to be a missionary in Togo, West Africa. Ever since he was four. I think there was a missionary that came to his church and shared. So John grew up really planning, believing, dreaming that he would be a missionary in, West, in, in Africa. And so he went to four years of college and got a theological degree, four years of college. Then three-year Master's of Divinity, so three more years. Now we're at seven. After his Master's of Divinity, he did two more years of theological education, got a THM, so that he could go over there and train pastors. This was his idea. So then this is, uh, I'll get the dates wrong, but he starts on the field to raise support so he can go to Africa and be a missionary. Remember, he's got nine years of theological education. He, to do this, and he goes to church after church after church after church after church after church after church and cannot raise the support. Cannot. No matter what he does, no matter how hard he tries, and this dude has a lot of try, he cannot raise the support. Nine years of education, and he can't, this is his dream his whole life, and he can't do it. So he's like, okay, well, maybe I'm supposed to pastor. So he takes this church in the Grand Rapids area, and it's a little church, and after about two years, maybe three years, some stuff that's beyond his control goes wrong at the church, and they have to ask him to leave because they can't pay him, and he finds himself pushing a cart in a factory, 
next to guys who haven't got their GED yet. Nothing wrong with pushing a cart in a factory. Nothing wrong at all. But can I just say, this is not how he thought his life was going to go. Nine years of theological education, and he's, he ends up at Home Depot. Like Nothing wrong with Home Depot, but it's not how he thought his life was going to turn out. Is your life turning out how you hope? <laughs> when you were in your 20s, like, did you think your life would turn out this way? When you were in your teens, like, would you have imagined that your life would be like it is now? Or is it this, this constant frustration that life is not how it should be? Meekness says, Lord, I trust that your plan is the right plan. And what John would do is he had a co-worker that was also a believer and, you know, as he's pushing his cart around the factory, he'd, he'd comment to her, isn't it great to be in the middle of God's will? And he's kind of joking, but he really meant it. That's meekness saying, God, this is not my plan. This is not what I would want, but Lord, I, I trust your plan. And I'll be content where you call me to be. So, so just hear this, though, in the context of Jesus is for your happiness. When I say Jesus is for your happiness, that doesn't mean that Jesus is a genie and that you can make wishes and that he'll give you anything you wish for because he may know better than you about what will ultimately lead to your happiness. He'll know better than you what is really for your welfare. He'll know better than us what is really for his good plan for our lives and how we will be conformed to the likeness of Christ. And contentness where he has put us is part of his plan for us being content where we are. Do you see how this is meekness? So think of Jesus talking with Satan when he's being tempted in Matthew chapter 4. Again and again, Satan tempts Jesus to not be meek, to go ahead and use his God power to turn the stones into bread. That's not meekness. Jesus knows that he's not supposed to do that right now. He's going to wait on the Lord. Or think of Jesus in the garden. He's in the garden of Gethsemane when he's praying, not my will, but yours be done. Like, I don't want to go through with this. I don't want to go to the cross, but I'm going to trust you right now in this hard stuff. I'm going to trust you. Or think of after Jesus is done praying in the garden, the, the soldiers come and Peter starts swinging his sword and Jesus, you know, Peter's like, it's time to fight. And Jesus is like, Peter, don't you know I could call 12 legions of angels? Don't you know if I just asked the Father 12 legions, he'd send 12, don't you know? You know how many angels are in a legion? Twelve legions, there's 6,000 angels in the legion. That is 72,000 angels armed to the teeth with flaming swords. And Jesus is like, we're going to submit to the Father's will. This is meekness. It is submitting our strength, our plan, to his plan. 
So he said, Jesus is for your well-being. He is for your eternal flourishing. He is for your happiness. So what we should do is we should submit our strength to him. How do we not do that? Well, we don't do that when we selfishly grasp for control. How do we not do that? Well, we don't do that when we're not content. Positively do that when we are content in his will. When we submit to him wherever we are, whatever we're doing, we say, your plan is better than mine. Your will be done here, not mine. Now, how do you do this? How do you acquire meekness? Well, you have to look at the, look at the verse. Matthew chapter 5, verse 5. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Isn't it because we doubt that? That we selfishly grasp? We selfishly grasp for control and power and status because we doubt God's goodness and God's provision. Isn't this why we're not content? We're not content because we really don't believe the Lord will provide for us. We really don't believe that the Lord has the right plan. So we're not content. Just know that he will bless you. And this is what you need to make meekness possible. This is, this is all through the Sermon on the Mount, though. I mean, if you look over at chapter 6, Jesus, uh, I, could, I could walk through the chapter, but we don't have time for that. Anyway, he says, do not worry. You spend all your life worrying about stuff. And he says, do not do that. Instead, he says in verse 32, the Gentiles seek after all these things. What should we drink? What should we wear? Etc. But your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. So verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. Like, we struggle with, meek, with meekness because we are afraid that we won't get what we want. And so because we don't believe that all these things really will be added unto us, because we don't really believe in God's blessing, because we don't really believe that we will inherit the earth, then we sin and we selfishly grasp at stuff that isn't ours to grasp at. Because we don't really believe that God's plan is better than ours, we are discontent all the time. So I'm saying... If you want to grow in meekness, what you must remember is that Jesus really is for your flourishing and he really will bless you. Here's what we've said. We've said Jesus is for your happiness. What we mean by that is eternal flourishing. What we mean by that is your well-being. Jesus knows you need to change, just like a parent knows their child needs to change. And this is why the parent, the parent will apply pressure to the child to help them change. So, this is the change we need to make. So submit your strength to him. Submit your strength to him. Is God leaning on you right now to submit your strength to him? Because maybe you're like, I can't. I've tried and I can't. Well, let's remember the order of the Beatitudes. Because if you're like, I can't, I can't do this. I don't even know why I'm here. I don't even know what I'm doing. Like, 
I don't fit. Like, this, this isn't working. Remember the, remember the order of the Beatitudes. It doesn't start with, blessed are the pure in heart. It starts with, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who know that they're spiritually bankrupt. Blessed are those who know they can't do it. Blessed are those who are ready to learn. Blessed are those who know they're empty because those are the ones that can be filled. Blessed are those who know they're sinners because those are the ones that are ready to be forgiven. If you're here going, this is not for me, I don't fit, I'm too sinful, I'm too broken, I can't do it. This is for you. This is for you. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And if you're going, oh, yeah, but I know I've sinned. I've sinned in these terrible ways. I have sinned and sinned and sinned. And I have all this guilt hanging over my head. Yes. Blessed are those who mourn their sin, for they shall be comforted. Yes, welcome. We're glad you're here. Now you're ready to look at being meek and submitting your strength to him. So you stop making things worse. So you start making things right. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that you would gently pull us towards yourself, that we would come to the end of ourselves, that we would confess our sin, and that we would submit our strength to you. Lord, do this because you love us. Do this for your glory and our good. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.